What is family medicine? What is a colonoscopy? What is the medical student experience here at the University of Utah School of Medicine? Today on Talking to Missions and Med Student Life, I interview Dr. Rick Henriksen, a family practitioner and faculty member here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Okay, welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. I've got a great guest today, Dr. Henriksen. Hello, Dr. Henriksen. How you doing? Glad to be here. Uh, I'm doing great. All right, let's get right into it. So, uh, family medicine. Tell me why family medicine. That's a really good question. I was as I was coming over here to do this interview, I, I knew you were going to ask that first thing, so I had to have kind of reviewed my my history. And I'll be honest, I am quite embarrassed about it. But before medical school, I did not know that family medicine was even a specialty. Mm. I um, I had done some work with some cardiologists, and I knew about internal medicine. I saw a pediatrician myself as a kid, but but I really did not know it existed. Um, kind of living in that bubble. And so I always knew I wanted to go into something pre- preventive type care. I wasn't really sure what. Started med school. A couple months into it, they you know they have different specialty folks come in and talk. And, and I heard this preset or this uh, attending to start talking about family medicine. And it just, the way she was talking about, the way she practiced, what her where her interests were and just the way that she was, I, I just really gravitated to that. And the way that she presented herself, I just knew that that was something that I wanted to be interested in. And so I uh, researched a little bit more and then pretty quickly into my first year was pretty sure I wanted to go into family medicine. So I kind of had an easier road um, than a lot of medical students, but I really knew quite, quite soon um, in my career that I wanted to go into family medicine. Just felt like the people um, the, the kind of physicians and the philosophy of, of how to look at medicine really fit me. Um, so then, you know, then through those first two years, I kind of kept an open mind somewhat. It was really, you know, what hadn't discounted anything. And then I started third year and, you know, as you, as you start those clinical rotations, you then kind of see what things are like. And, and for me, it was a really good confirmation. I, I entered surgery and had an enjoyable experience, but really wasn't for me. I, did OB and I really liked the delivering babies, but not the surgery part. And, mm-hmm. um, and so it was one of those where I kind of had bits and pieces that I liked about every specialty. Um, and then it really just kind of, um, rolled into one with family medicine. And, and I, and I really enjoy being in the clinic. I help, I, I like helping people stay healthy. I don't really, um, enjoy taking care of sick people mm-hmm. very much. I, I think that sounds kind of weird, but. So you're it, talking about like, Treating patients in the hospital, exactly. as opposed to an outpatient clinic. Yeah, so yeah. so I like seeing you know, when people are sick out in ho- out, outpatient. It's a lot of fun for me to helping them through that. But you know, seeing the people that are really sick, that are you know intubated or in life support, it just wasn't something that I found very interesting for mm-hmm. me. Um, and I really, but I but I really grabbed on to keeping people out of that position. Mm-hmm. What I could do as a as a physician to to do that. The greater emphasis on preventative care. Yeah, that, and then also the teaching that I could do. One of the one of the things that I love, and I th- this is another one that sounds crazy, is I love teaching people about coughs. Mm-hmm. Like they come in, they have a cough. I love being able to sit down and talk about these very kind of basic principles and teaching my patients, like, when do you need to go into the doctor? What do you need to do? And and I think as a family doctor, we we, we see that a lot, and that can be sometimes monotonous. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I really find it enjoyable to be able to teach because everyone comes from a different place. 
Um, everyone comes from a different set of experiences, and so you can use that to, to help them teach them something new about themselves and about health. Would you say that's the best part of family medicine? Uh, best part, I think the best part about family medicine is giving reassurance. Mm -hmm. So patients come in, they're scared, they're anxious. And if you can give them reassurance that things are going to be okay, or if things aren't, at least that things can be better. Um, I think that's probably my favorite mm -hmm. part of family medicine. Yeah, Actually, I, I mean, I've, I've known other family physicians. I'm not, I'm not one myself, uh, but I, I remember in medical school, I remember talking to my peers who are family practitioners and they talk about that relationship you form with your patients. And it is... It is meaningful, it's longitudinal, and you're just kind of there for all these milestones. I mean, does that ring true for you? Absolutely. I, you know, it's interesting. Now that I've been in practice for a few years, I did my residency and then I stayed on as faculty in the same program. So I've had patients now that have, you know, been with me for a long time. And, and it really has been enjoyable seeing them go through different changes, seeing patients that were, that were doing terribly on a lot of chronic pain medications to now off medications or, or vice versa, trying to see some of those, some of those, um, areas. I, I was just, um, saw a patient for a well child check the other day. Patient's now like three years old and it was just mind blowing to me how quickly the time goes from when I was involved, you know, shortly after their birth to, to where they are now. And it's just, it's a lot of fun seeing them change and grow and, and grow with the, their pay, their, their parents were also my patients and to help them out kind of through that process. Awesome. What would you say is the most challenging part or most difficult part about being a family practice physician? Most challenging is, uh, is managing expectations. Mm -hmm. I think um, expectations from both my end and also the patient's end, it's really hard um, to, to go into a room sometimes and just not have the answers. And that is, can sometimes be hard on me, my expectation of being able to know everything. But also on the patient, obviously, they're coming to me and they, they want good answers and um, trying to manage that expectation of I can help you and we can look through this, go through this process, but it's not going to be, you know, overnight. It's not going to be tomorrow, but we can, we, we can work through that process. The other thing is just expectations of, of what I'm able to do in a, in a time constraint, you know, the way that our health system is built these days. We just, you know, you do have time constraints on what you're able to accomplish. And that is hard. You know, when I have a 20 or 30 minute visit and, you know, 10 things that the patient wants to address, it's, you know, you really do have to learn that art of, of managing the most critical or the most high, you know, that highest priority mm -hmm. and then asking for another visit to, to really give each, each of those issues, you know, their due time because they are important for the patient. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that to, my, to me sounds incredibly challenging. Um, you know, if you only have 20, 30 minutes and, you know, a lot of people have multiple symptoms or multiple conditions or multiple medications. I mean, how do you balance that? How do, how do you go about doing that as a, as a family practice doc? Yeah, I think a lot, a large part is, is when you first enter that room is trying to figure out what's the agenda. Mm -hmm. What is the key, you know, what, a, what am I bringing to the agenda as the physician and what is the patient bringing? Because if I spend the whole time talking about diabetes and everything that's going on with that, but the patient really wanted to talk about asthma or something, they're not going to leave the room until they've, they've brought up that topic. Mm -hmm. And so making sure you get all of those areas up, up front and then setting that expectation at the beginning so that when you get to the end, you're not, oh, one more thing, I, I need to talk about my asthma and this, and you have 10 more minutes of visit, and, and you really run over schedule for the rest of your patients. But mm -hmm. um, setting that agenda, I think 
it also just um, helping patients understand about what the system is and what their what what can happen in that room. I think as they come to see you more often as their physician, or they go in uh, several times, they'll see how you manage things and and how that and how that works. I think it's really hard when it's just the first time you're you're seeing that physician. You don't have that relationship built. They're not really sure of what's going to happen. But the more that relationship you have, the better you're able to kind of um, work together as a team. Excellent. So, I mean, Dr. Hendrickson, you're on the front lines, you know, you're seeing patients, you're treating them every day. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk in the media, and I certainly get questions about it, about the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. I know there's there's going to be a greater emphasis on primary care doctors, family practitioners. What have you seen? What changes are on the horizon for for the field? Um, for family medicine, like, so as of now, what changes? Pretty limited. I think the biggest number of changes is probably a small increase in the number of patients we see in our, in our overall practice. I think we haven't had a huge balloon. Is that because that, because that's more people are having health insurance, correct? Yeah. More people having health insurance, especially kind of this younger group, Mm -hmm. um, that is now covered by their patients. I, we, you know, we're, my clinic is right on campus. And so I still see a lot of students. Um, undergrad students and graduate students. And so some of that, they're still on their pay, parents' insurance, which was not possible, you know, a few years ago. Um, and so we are seeing a, a few number of extra folks. And then also another big change is that um, the Affordable Care Act required insurances cover certain preventive services. And so I am seeing a few more patients come in or, or getting those covered much more easily f- through their insurance um, for some of those preventive services. What are some of the more popular ones people are, are electing to have? Um, well, I guess the, you know, the question people was like, is my colonoscopy going to be covered? And I always, you know, you'd have to kind of make sure and look at the insurance where now you can say it's going to be covered <laughs> because it's, you know, it's on that list of well-known preventive services that we know are, are, are going to be covered. So it just kind of decreases the amount of brain power I have to spend to see which insurance is going to cover which service. All, all these ones, these baseline mammogram, I know they're going to be covered if they have insurance. So the reason why I love doing these podcasts, Dr. Hendrickson, we can go down many different paths and you bring up colonoscopy. So let's do a little teaching moment for everyone. Sounds right. good. So what is, what is a colonoscopy? What are the recommendations? How often should you get it? Um, is this is, I think this is where people drink that material, which makes them have which more or less cleanses the bowel. So let's talk about colonoscopies real quick. Okay, so colonoscopy is this not very fun or delightful um, procedure where a small camera is inserted into somebody's rectum, mm-hmm. and, and then they're able to look for polyps, other types of issues, colon cancer. It's really mm-hmm. a screening test for colon cancer. And, and, yeah, because of the nature of the test, the colon has to be empty. Mm-hmm. And so the night before – Pitch perfect, yeah. Yeah, the, the <laughs> night before, it, um, you start drinking a solution that is going to make you go to the bathroom a lot. Is it still go lightly? Is that what it's um, still called? They, they use they use go lightly. They'll use like milk and magnesium, uh, different types okay. of preparations depending on the surgeon, but or the 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 GI doctor. But um, funny story, my dad, mm-hmm. um, he's now in his sixties. He's sixty two. I tried for almost ten years. To get him to do his colonoscopy, when he turned fifty, I'm like dad, you need to get your colonoscopy. Um, it's kind of in general, everyone over the age of fifty. So fifty is kind of the cutoff. The cutoff, yeah. That's the starting point um, to get your colonoscopy. And so I tried every I, every year, even for Christmas. Christmas is coming up for us. A couple of years ago, I said, Dad and Dad, Dad, the only thing I want for Christmas is for you to get a colonoscopy. I don't want anything else. And you know what? He still didn't get it. Wow. 
the primary reason he didn't get it is he didn't want to go through the clean out. So well, would, Dr. Hendrickson, were you a good boy that year? I, I, <laughs> Did you not deserve a Christmas gift? That might be part of it. Yeah, okay. that might be part of it. But all so right. he didn't want to go through the all clean right. out. He didn't want to. He didn't want to sit on the john all night. Uh-huh. He would have done the procedure. And so it was really interesting that I kept, I kept hitting my head on a rock trying to get him to do it. And I almost felt like you know what? These are kind of like my patients that are not, you know, they're they're not. There's some kind of barrier. Mm-hmm. And and then I started thinking, you know what? There are other ways to screen for colon cancer. Um, we can do uh, look for blood in people's stool, different mm-hmm. things. Like, you know, maybe if I would have been a better team player with my, quote, patient, my dad, we would have figured out a better system. And he would have got screened for colon cancer and it would have been a lot better rather than just kind of, you know, sitting, doing the same thing. And actually it taught me a lesson that when I work with my patients. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot better to try to figure out what you know. What is the issue? What's going on? What is the behind the scenes information that I'm not aware of that is either preventing treatment or preventing a diagnosis that I can work with better? So my thankfully, my dad has now done his colonoscopy. So what, what did the trick? How'd you convince your dad? You know, finally he just ended up doing it on his own. I okay. think it was more my mom did hers first, <laughs> okay. and and so then he was able to do it after my mom did it. So. Kind of a kind of a couples event, like a couples back massage. Yeah, a couples colonoscopy. Although generally it's not it's not good to do it at the same exact time because <laughs> then. Then you're both. This is a million dollar idea. Asking. I should approach our GI docs with it. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, couples colonoscopy. <laughs> cool. All right. So, so yeah. So more patients are having their preventive measures covered. So colonoscopies, flu vaccines, th- that, those type of. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Great. Great. Well, let's switch gears. Let's talk about you know education. So um, you're in charge of the fa- family medicine clerkship, right? Right. So what, what, what is that? What does that look like in the University of Utah School of Medicine? So um, as your listeners probably know, it's the family medicine clerkship is, is a rotation during the third year clinical uh, medicine. And um, our rotation is almost, almost entirely outpatient, although if you are in kind of a rural part of Utah or Idaho, you will be doing some ER shifts, mm-hmm. delivering babies as family doctors do in those rural areas. But primarily it's an outpatient-based um, preceptor kind of rotation. A lot of the rotations in medical school, you work with residents a lot. Mm-hmm. In our rotation, you work primarily with an attending. You mm-hmm. work just with the physician. There are no residents kind of in the clinic that you're working in. And so that actually is really nice. You're able to kind of create that one-on-one experience or relationship with, with a physician and see what, you know, what really is their life like. And so, um, what we do is we place you into, into one clinic or, or two clinics. Um, and, and you'll spend your entire time kind of just living the life as a family doctor. Your, your hours will be their hours, and, and you go through that process. And it's, um, you're able to, to see a lot of patients. There's obviously a high volume in a family physician's office. And so you will see a lot of patients, which is, which is really nice. You'll be able to do a lot of exams, look at a lot of ears. You know, any exam piece that you're really not sure on how to do, you can practice that a lot with, with, with your patients. And then... You're able to really get involved in in, the, in those patients' lives. A lot of them will come back multiple times during mm-hmm. your rotation, and and see what, a little bit of what that kind of longitudinal care is like. And you know, is it going to be a fit for you? Do you do you enjoy seeing patients repeatedly, or or you rather you know one and done and shut the book and never have to think about it again, mm-hmm. kind of person? So, how long is the rotation for? So the rotation uh, currently is four weeks, but um, starting next year it'll move to six weeks long. Why? Um, one of the main reasons um, was just the the students really requested it. They really wanted a longer rotation. They felt that they just you know they started 
um, the rotation. They were just getting getting used to how things worked and becoming productive, and then they left. And so um, we kind of looked at what some of the national averages are, what the median length of a rotation was, and it really was six weeks. And so we were a little bit below mm-hmm. kind of what other medical students were seeing, and so we felt like it was an important move to to increase that to six weeks. Okay. Um, so, so that was, those were kind of the two primary reasons. So the students here, are they, you know, let's pretend a student is from, you know, Southern Utah, like, or Cedar City or St. George, are they able to request to go down in a different part of states? I mean, how much voice or choice do the students get about where they go? So, yeah, we actually try to accommodate pretty heavily the student's choice on if they're living close to campus or or living far away. Obviously, it's dependent on where there's a good preceptor there Mm -hmm. um, or not. So if you, you know, you grew up in in a small town, um, we, you know, whether there's a clinic there or not, we have to make sure that that preceptor kind of fits our standards of teaching. And, And so primarily looking at making sure this is a good clinical experience. It's nice to get back home or to see what things are, you know. With, with your family, but but really the primary reason that we're sending you out into the rural community is to have that really good rural experience, and so we want to make sure every student's having a high quality experience. And so there is definitely some choice. We're actually just putting together um, kind of like a, a survey type deal that's going to re- look at some of the students' preferences where they would like to practice, and then we'll be getting that data before we make the selections or how we choose, you know, mm-hmm. where the students are going to be placed. And are there like formal like lectures or, or, or teaching moments throughout the, the four to six weeks or how, how does that work? Yeah. So as, as we've changed from four weeks to now six weeks, we have a lot more opportunity to try to put in some different didactic sessions or some hands-on sessions. We do um, right now we have a pretty heavy emphasis on kind of the musculoskeletal exam. Outpatient medicine, one of the primary reasons people go in to see doctors is for back pain or for knee pain. And so we do have an emphasis on that. So we do a review session on those areas. And then um, we do have some didactics. We actually spent a lot of time talking about health policy and primary care policy. Hmm. Um, Why do we have family medicine? What is the place of family medicine in the curriculum? And so we actually spend a pretty significant amount of time. Um, talking about primary care in general, why you know why and what it is, and, and how we can improve um, the way we deliver care. Um, and there's other kind of teaching modules that they'll do during during the course of that uh, would be will be six weeks. And what's nice is we have a chance to really modify and improve and change our curriculum. We you know every year we go through this evaluation process of what we would want to add or take away. And now that things are six weeks, we have a little bit more flexibility. Um, to still have that quality clinical experience, but to to add into some of the holes that we were missing before with some of the the sessions that we do. So, just so I understand, Doctor Hendrickson, what if you know I'm a student and you know I'm from Cedar City, Utah, and I'm doing my family practice rotation down there? How do I access these lectures during that? I mean, is there an online component? Yeah, so you're kind of putting me on the spot right uh, now because we don't have it completely formulated. We actually have been meeting with several different of our faculty but members. But it's the future, Doctor Hendrickson. Yeah, the future. It's so. the future. So let's see if I have to think of what would be approved in okay. the next week or two. Okay. Um, well, really. Really, what most likely what it's going to be is we're going to have kind of two independent tracks. So if you're local, mm. you're going to be doing a certain set of um, of curriculum. If you're away, similar information, but either going to be doing it remotely through kind of like a Google Chats kind of a thing, mm-hmm. or um, or watching videos, and it's going to be kind of a more uh, complete program. But what we're also doing for next year is allowing students to do three weeks rural and three weeks urban. Oh, cool. So they'll go three weeks to, say, Monticello and then mm-hmm. come back to Salt Lake for three weeks. So we had to make sure that our 
curriculum curriculum was going to be easily work for both sets of students if they're you know here local or ways. So I think we have a good balance mm-hmm. where it's going to be possible to have have students go back and forth without missing the content. Okay, excellent. Um, and you know, going back to what you said earlier, it really resonated with me because, like again, I didn't really learn about all the the different residencies until med school, and then I kind of found out a lot more. And um, I remember in med school, I learned I didn't know this, but that you know, obviously there's a family practice residency, but there's actually fellowships attached to family practice. Yeah, absolutely. What what, what are some of those, and what do those look like? So um, there is a, there are a large variety of fellowships in family medicine. I think the probably the most popular ones are sports medicine and like an OB fellowship. I mm-hmm. think. Um, you know, sports med, they're both one year long. So if you do a, a family medicine residency, you know, in order to have like C-section privileges, oftentimes you just don't have enough numbers during that residency. And so you're able to, to refine your skills, improve those skills by doing an OB fellowship. And so you'd work on your, your C-section. So it's three skills. years family practice, one, one year. year fellowship. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. you have four years coming out of that. Um, same thing for sports medicine. You spend your entire time, um, you know, for a year after your residency working in that fellowship. Then there's other varieties. So academic fellowships, how mm. to be a faculty member, faculty development type things. Um, a, one of my fellow residents did a geriatrics um, fellowship, and so she spent she spent the year really focusing on on that population. So um, adolescence is also a fellowship. So there's all these different um, kind of focused ones. Now, what's not possible? It's not really possible to go into kind of the more organ based fellowships. For example, like nephrology or cardiology. Cardiology, yeah. So those are not really available for um, for family medicine. You either have to go to peds or internal medicine for those specifics. But that being said, you can really refine and, and kind of modify um, your your clinical practice based on okay some of those things. Um, and I, you know, I'm just kind of throwing these questions at you because they're all kind of bubbling in my mind. So, Dr. Hendrickson, a lot of people still use the word GP. They talk about their general practitioner. Yeah. Is there a difference between a GP and a FP, a family practitioner? And if so, what is it? So there, I mean, it really depends on people using that term. So the okay. GP is kind of an older term um, that was around for a long time um, and it still has some carryover and also is still internationally that's used much more commonly. Hmm. Um, I think some people refer to a general practitioner as their pediatrician or their, their internist that they see. Mm-hmm. Um, or family medicine is, you know, is more than just um, one of those who – as found medicine, we see kids, we see adults, we're trained in delivering babies. Mm-hmm. And so so really encompasses that general practitioner. But but at the same time, some people colloquially just describe their own, you know, pediatrician as a GP. So it's it's kind of a hard phrase to, okay. to yeah. I've different. always wondered that. I've never asked that of any family practitioner. I, I still hear that word thrown around every once in a while. Yeah, so I think we use like primary care physician mm-hmm. probably a little bit more um, now than general practitioner and kind of kind of that aspect as well. Cool. Well, we've got a few minutes left, Dr. Hendrickson. Um, last question. What does a typical day look for you? Look like for you? I mean, I mean, what is the life like for a family practitioner? Yeah. So that, that varies obviously depending on where you're working and, and, and the scenario we, um, in our clinic. So I, I am not full-time clinical faculty, so I mm-hmm. teach like we discussed earlier, but if you're a full-time clinical faculty member in our program, um, you would you would probably work anywhere from eight to ten hours um, in the clinic a day, okay. and and so right now we actually have very long hours in our clinic. We have a session that starts at seven thirty, and then our evening hours don't close 
until 8.30. Wow. So your so, clinic is open until 8.30 at so night? it's open until 8.30. Is that pretty common? or um, It's becoming more common for okay. patient access, right? It's been a great thing for my patients. Yeah, because like most people work. Work. Yeah, it's hard to, you know, so it makes sense to yeah. go after hours. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of my patients either work at Goldman or Sachs or work wherever, you know, mm-hmm. the university, and they're done. Mm-hmm. They're on their way home, they can stop in. It's a lot easier. So... If I, you know, but I don't work all all those hours, mm-hmm. so I don't work twelve hours or thirteen hours a day. So I'll do two sessions: a seven thirty to noon, and then a noon to four session, and that'll be kind of one day. And then another provider will come in for the evening. And so, what a full time provider would do is you would do kind of two of those sessions for four days a week, and that would be kind of your full time hours. Mm-hmm. Usually, we talk about a full time. Um, outpatient kind of family physician is about 36 patient contact hours. Mm-hmm. And then usually about um, anywhere from four to six hours after that is kind of non-clinical time. How many patients do you usually see in an hour, two or three? So, yeah, so most you'd probably see three on it is probably three is the national average, um, depending on how many new patients or, old, or returning patients you have. If mm-hmm. you've been in practice for a long time, you'll have a lot more returning patients. And so you'd see more patients an hour than if you were brand new to clinic and mm. you'd, you'd be seeing fewer patients just because of that. Now, with the, you being a teaching facility, obviously there are medical students, there are residents around in the clinic. Do – I mean does that schedule differ if you're in a non-academic setting or is it even more fast-paced when you're outside academics? I'm just curious what that looks like. Yeah, our our clinic is set up – so we have 20 and 40-minute visits. Okay. And uh, the community, the rest of the university community clinics are 15 and 30-minute Okay. So some of our learners, it definitely does slow down the system. But at the same time, we uh, because we have longer visits, we're able to do more kind of thorough mm. and in-depth um, kind of time. And, and we actually can bill higher mm-hmm. for depending on what, what we do with our patients. So we've we've kind of looked at it, and, and, our, and our billing per patient is higher because we're able to do more things than seeing f- – and but we see, still see fewer number of patients. And so it kind of works out that we're able to do more, but we have a little more time. So Cool. Well, Dr. Hendrickson, we're out of time. Thank you for coming by. My pleasure. I'll have to have you come back on the podcast and maybe get an update about your dad's colon. You got it. Yeah, (laughs) I'll ask him about it. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.